Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. My co-host Tom Nixon is here. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jay. How you doing? Doing fine. Uh, just, you know, Zoom call after Zoom call these days. That's right. I mean, we were sort of used to the Zoom environment being virtual before, but now that everyone else is caught on, it's like your whole day is consumed with Zoom calls. Yeah. And I know our listeners can't see this, but you've, you've, gone, uh, you've gone fancy on us. You now have an official Zoom background with our company logo on it. So I don't know why I haven't taken the time to get that set up yet, but I think I need IT support to, to do that. Probably, yes. Yeah, yeah. So in any event, um, so we have, a, we have a guest with us today um, who I'm excited to talk about. Um, Jeremy Richter is an insurance defense lawyer in Birmingham, Alabama. He's the author of three books, including his most recent book, which is called Level Up Your Law Practice. And Jeremy is also the host of a podcast called The Lawyerpreneur. So um, Jeremy, we're excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. And my wife tried to talk me into a different podcast name because that one is difficult to just get all the words out right. And I usually have to do several takes. Yeah, no, I know. I, uh, I you know, I, when I came on that, I was, I was thinking, all right, just do this slowly. You can, you can get it out. <laughs> don't, don't rush things because it's, uh, it, you know, it could be a mouthful, but it's a good, it's a good name. Do you have the .com for that? I don't have the .com. It's sitting out there in some space where somebody owns it and hasn't done anything with it. So I've just attached everything to my already existing website by my own name and just yep. am doing it that way. Yeah, no, that works. I know. As, a, uh, as someone who likes to collect domain names and do nothing <laughs> with them, I, uh, I was wondering, because uh, as Tom knows, I'm oftentimes sending emails like, hey, look at this great domain name I got that <laughs> I'm going to do nothing with. Well, <laughs> so, eventually... You always threaten to generate a business idea around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. I was actually looking for one this week um, based on a uh, an idea that I had like 20 years ago, but <laughs> it was it was taken. So that was that was probably a good thing. It was seventy nine dollars saved on the uh, on the credit card or whatever the cost mm-hmm. is. So so in any event, uh, with that with that aside, uh, Jeremy, I wanted to talk to you about uh, first and foremost. I know you're you are uh, certainly what we would call a thought leader. You produce a, a lot of content. You've written several books. Uh, now you have a podcast. And, and you know, given, obviously, the name of our podcast, that's the big emphasis of our, of our work and our, our interests and, and our listeners as well. Um, so we want to talk to you a little bit about your book. Um, and as someone who's written a couple myself, I'm um, be curious to hear from you on uh, just basically, maybe you could start by talking about you know, why, why this book, uh, and then maybe just describe who's it for and maybe what, what kind of in broad themes, what it's about. So this book, Level Up Your Law Practice, is about a sustainable, creating a sustainable and successful law practice for the long term. Um, and about 40% of the book is dedicated to what I call the successful lawyer mindset. And it's just a mindset ideas that will help you just have a healthier mental space. And actually, I didn't plan for the book to come out until May, but when all of this COVID-19 and physical distancing 
and everybody having new workspaces, things, when all of that happened in, I guess it really started in early March, I guess we're about five weeks into it now, I decided to go ahead and get this out early, and it's been out for three or four weeks now, because I felt like there's a lot of stress that all of us are experiencing right now, that everything is new and uncertain, and we're just trying to get a a new normal or something approaching it that we can do our work. So I went ahead and released it early because of the, the emphasis on mindset and figuring out how to do things in a healthy way that works for the long term. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I'm I, interested uh, that because I, I went through, I have, I have a book that is, uh, is ready to go. Um, I did end up tabling it uh, for a bit, but I, I'm also coming around to the idea now. I just kind of wanted to get a sense of the lay of the land a little bit more. I just felt like I didn't have a good handle on whether that was the right time to do it. Uh, but I have, I've come around and I'm looking at like early May to, to launch my book as well. So I think, you know, you, I'm definitely coming away around to your way of thinking on that. So uh, oh, well, from a financial standpoint, it may not have been the best decision. Yeah. <laughs> when everybody is uncertain <laughs> about paychecks, right. um, dropping another 10 bucks on something that you're, you know, is you have to think about it where maybe you didn't before. So um, I can't tell you that my decision to do that was financially the best decision or for launching a book, the best decision. Um, but for me to be able to get it out there and hopefully it be of value to somebody that made it the right decision in the moment. Right. And I, I mean, you, maybe you have the same mindset as me is that like it, with, with these types of books, these sort of niche uh, nonfiction books, I mean, certainly you can earn some money on them, but probably not going to be significant money that whereas I think your motivation to to get it in people's hands and help them um, even if it means you know I know I've given away a ton of books in the past for free just to try to be helpful in some sense and maybe that redounds to my benefit down the road but um, but I think that motivation is the right one which is why I'm coming around to that idea as well so um, that's I think that's cool yeah, I'm curious, Jeremy, as somebody who has also successfully launched a book without financial gain. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't have the niche focus nor nonfiction focus to blame for it. I wrote a uh, fiction book. Um, did it mostly for me, though. Did it mostly for the exercise of it. And it's been interesting um, to get a little peek into Jay's process. I did a, a round of review of his book, which which was I think it's going to be an outstanding book and I know it's his third and you kind of get a sense for what other authors processes are. And I'm curious now you're on your third book, right? That's right. I'm curious. Do you have a formal process either that you've documented or maybe just looking back now you realize you have a process and if so, has that changed over the course of the years? So it's, you're now on your third book. So this one I did a little bit differently than my first two. The first two were essentially a collection of blog posts that were focused around similar themes and you know formatted differently and content added but most of it was pre-existing content that i had already created and was repurposing for this book most of the content was generated for the book itself and originally i had thought that i might write the entire thing about mindset exclusively. And I had written a book called The Successful Author Mindset by Joanna Penn and was modeling it after that and applying it toward lawyers. Um, but then I decided that I wanted to tie that into 
you know, these are all good, interesting concepts, but I wanted to tie it back into our law practices and make it more practical and applicable. And so it really evolved from what I had originally envisioned it to be, um, to be something more grounded in the daily realities of our business practices than what it had originally intended to be. So this one was a little bit different. Most of the content was generated specifically for the book itself. And it was, it was just a different experience. And I, I thought it worked out really well in the end. Did that evolution that you described happen in real time? So as you're writing the book, did you, your mind start shifting and in, in including some of the practical applicability? Yes. As That's I was going along and I do not write in order. So I've, I've also written, but haven't finished um, some fiction working on a novel, I guess, like many people, I'm also <laughs> working on a novel that, you know, hasn't been completed, but even with it, I am not writing from, like beginning to end, I tend to jump around on things and, you know, write whatever it is that I happen to be thinking about or have had some, listened to some podcast or read a book that sparked some idea. And so it did not develop in a really just natural, smooth progression. Um, and just, I don't really know how to describe it other than eventually at the end of things, once I had a really clear picture of where I wanted to go and how I wanted to, to do it and tie the mindset ideas in with the business and client relationships that eventually it all melded into a cohesive book. Yeah. Which is an interesting way to approach it. And especially for me, because I lately, for whatever reason, maybe it's recency bias, but lately I've been getting a lot out of mindset type of books. Um, but I know that there's a whole world out there that will read something like that and say, well, yeah, how do I apply this to my practice? Right. So this is great. I can shift my mind. I can have this great new attitude, but if I can't apply something to my business, they might consider it useless. Not me. I would love just the mindset stuff. So I'm curious now that you've written that book, you've, you've incorporated both aspects there. How has in the past and how do you envision this book helped you build your business as a practical matter? So I'll give you, I'll, I'll respond first to what you said about, I like big idea books, but I also really like it when it tells me how to apply that new knowledge and information. And sometimes I will walk away from a big idea book thinking, okay, well, that was interesting and all well and good, but I don't see what I'm going to do with it now. Um, so yeah, I, I'm one of those people that give me some practical application. Um, and as for how it's helped me, particularly as it relates to business growth and sustainable law practices, I write a section about goal setting and then following up on your goals with implementing key performance indicators and other metrics that will help you monitor whether you're actually achieving those goals and then whether specific goals are aligning with your broader vision for what you want to do with your law practice. And so I've been goal setting since 2016 and I found it really valuable and useful for me. And then I was at a conference last September where they talked about metrics and key performance indicators. And I implemented some of those ideas and I mean, it, it was like a light came on and 
just really enabled me to implement some new processes that were really beneficial. And so that's one of the things that I wrote about here. Well, interesting, and Jay, I'll turn it over to you in a second, but like an interesting observation I have as you describe that is, is your book blends the big picture with the practical day-to-day applicability of that big picture vision, which I'm sure is what you espouse for your law practice clients, that they need to do that big picture planning, but it needs to be deconstructed down into monthly, weekly, daily habits even. Absolutely. If I'm not monitoring uh, those things on a regular basis to make sure you know, a particular practice area is actually profitable or that a particular client or payment structure is beneficial to the business, then it's, there's not a lot of utility in just having ideas about that. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, this is, I think, fairly common in, in the law practice where you've got, you know, fairly long sales cycles and, and everything else, but, the you know, the profitability or revenue is, is, a, is kind of a lagging indicator of, you know, the leading indicators being the, you know, the daily actions you're taking to build that practice. Um, so I think that's a, a really important principle for people to keep in mind. Um, so Jeremy, I want to dig into on a couple of things in the book itself, um, which first of all, I just want to say it, I had a chance to, to move through it and it's a great book. Uh, it's got tons of um, content. I, I really like your writing style. It's concise. It's to the point and you've got a, you know, you've got kind of a unique, um, it, at times a little bit, not irreverent, but just, uh, you know, you mix in, you mix in humor and, you know, just, you come at things from a different angle. So I just I congratulate you on, on a very good book. Um, but so in, in your book, uh, you talk about the importance of an abundance mindset and, you know, in, in it, I'll, I'll quote you here. You write, you have to, to, you have to continually choose it, it being an abundance mindset. Um, you say, particularly in the dark hours, in the valleys. And so maybe just talk a little bit about the difference between an abundance and a scarcity mindset and maybe contextualize what that means um, and why it might be important to have an abundance mindset at, at this moment in time where we're all sort of locked down and the economy's grinding to a halt. Okay. So an abundance mindset at its core is approaching things from a perspective of there's always more where that came from. And I'll give you a really specific example. And it's an example I use in the book of the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. And when I started writing and particular when it, particularly when I started publishing articles early on in industry magazines and journals um, about things that could help other lawyers who were also competitors in the insurance defense world, another lawyer approached me and said, aren't you worried that you're going to help out your competition here? And for me, that's an example of a scarcity mindset of thinking of things in a zero sum game. And that if I need to pull up the ladder behind me and not be willing to help out others who are in the same industry, and I just don't want to approach things that way, because I feel like, and not I feel like, but a rising tide can raise all the ships. And the better lawyer I am and learn things along the way and having a willingness to help out others who are similarly, similarly situated, it's not only good for me on a personal level, but it's good for us as an industry for all of us to be better lawyers and better serve our clients. And I'm okay with 
somebody else who is a direct competitor being better at their job. Because if I lose a client because they're better, I, I probably should have been a better lawyer to start with and <laughs> that wouldn't happen. Um, so that's just a really specific example of the difference. And abundance mindset is not looking at things as a zero sum game. And I'll say that in our current situation, whether I think LinkedIn has been a really good example of this, where I have seen so many lawyers providing information and tools and tips to help each other out, particularly in the insurance coverage space, where we have all of these new questions about business interruption coverage and new legislation that's being passed. There are a ton of lawyers, some of whom know each other personally and others only over the internet, who are sharing ideas and information and helping each other be more knowledgeable and able to serve clients. And I feel like that's a really good example of how being of having an abundance mindset helps the profession as a whole. Yeah. And I, maybe, I, I don't know if you agree with me on this or not, but certainly in my experience when practicing, treating others with respect, uh, even, you know, particularly opposing counsel uh, and being helpful. Um, it's not just good from an altruistic standpoint, but it's the, usually the thing that helps you build your practice too. I mean, that's, you know, some of the best referrals would come from opposing counsel in some cases. And, and a lot of lawyers don't think of it that way. They think of it as an adversarial relationship, not one they should approach with a, an abundance mindset. Oh, I totally agree. And if given the opportunity to give young lawyers advice, the first thing I will tell them is most of us work in really small legal communities and you're going to work with the same people for 30 years and you can either make that as easy or difficult on yourself as you want. And if you're somebody who has integrity and can be trusted, which doesn't mean you're a pushover, but it does mean that when you say something that it has gravity and it means something, but also that you can play nice sometimes too. Like if you can have those kind of relationships where you can trust each other and work together through problems, you're just going to make your life a whole bunch easier and that better serves your clients because you are able to work things out with opposing counsel rather than burning everything to the ground and having to go to the judge every time there's a problem, which creates its own quagmire. Yeah, no doubt. Um, another issue that you raise in the book, uh, which is, I found interesting and, and agree with, is uh, you, you write about the fact that lawyers shouldn't sacrifice their creativity uh, to the practice of law. And this is probably something I, I, I wish I had read this, read, read this in your book uh, back when I was practicing, because I certainly did that. One of the reasons I guess I left the practice of law was because I, I felt like I wanted to pursue uh, other creative outlets. And, uh, but you, you certainly can and should, um, you know, not, it's not a zero sum game again, you can do both. Um, so you give some examples of lawyers who have uh, taken it, taken on side projects, writing books, you know, again, starting podcasts, maybe starting businesses or building courses, whatever, whatever the case might be for a, a, a sort of a side project that not, it can help their legal practices and it can also provide some supplemental income. Um, and, and obviously your, your own example is a, is a good example of this, but maybe just talk a little bit about, you know, what, how you see the, the intersection of creativity and the practice of law and maybe 
kind of any advice you have for lawyers who might just be head down billing hours for clients, but, but maybe have a desire to do something else on the side that's a bit more creative? It's really difficult and you have to be intentional about it. For, I guess 2018 was really a year of self-assessment and self-discovery for me. Um, I took some personality tests and just kind of tried to figure out and get behind some of my driving forces so that when my wife asked me and she would ask this in a genuine way and not in a critical way, like, why can't you just be a lawyer? Why do you have to have all these other things going on? Because there have always been all these other things going on for a long time. I didn't have an answer. It was just like, I don't know. It's just what I want to do. And, and right. now I understand that this ambition and this drive is just a part of my nature and it's intrinsic and it's something, it's a compulsion that I have to fulfill. And so writing and um, doing a podcast now and all of these other things are how I help just say, sustain that creative energy that, that I, that I need. And so, but you have to make time for it. For me, that time is really early in the morning. I like, I wake up at five o'clock every day um, on the weekdays, on the weekends, it's usually 5.30 or six, but that's the time that I am most creative. And it's the time when the house is quiet because at the end of the day, when, the, when it's quiet, I'm spent. Um, there's work, there's dealing with the kids, and then, you know, at nine o'clock, I don't have any creative energy left. So I had to set it set aside time in my day. And for me, it was the early part of the day where I can do the creative things that I want to do, whether it's writing fiction or writing nonfiction. Um, and, you know, for some people, they're not early morning folks and that doesn't work for them. And everybody's got to figure out their own schedule and, you know, and that may change for me at a different season of life. And sometimes I have more time to do it. And sometimes I'm preparing for trial and there will be weeks go by where I just literally don't have either the time or headspace to do any creative endeavors. But when I go for a while without it, I can tell. And there's, there, there's a deep seated part of me that's like, Hey, you've got to get back to this because of it gives me more energy and I just have so much, I, I get so much out of a creative endeavor, whether, whether it actually ever gets into the public view or not. Yeah. Interesting. You know, Jeremy, we're just meeting for the first time, but in some ways I, I hear three years on this podcast. Well, no pun intended there. Um, but as a young man, I, I thought there was a binary choice between either having a career or having a passion. And I wanted my career to fulfill all of those creative passions because I guess I thought if I, I didn't, there were a part of that of me would essentially die. And um, I eventually gave up the passion pursuit and went for a career. And then I got to the point where maybe Jay, you were describing where I realized it wasn't getting any fulfillment on the creative side out of my career. And then I started lamenting, well, maybe I need to go into a different career. And really what I've discovered was the answer is that it's both. It's not binary. It's you have a career, you're going to apply your talents and your passions to that career to the extent that you can and that it, that it makes you money. 
but you should also have without the other creative pursuits that are not tied to your career, then you start evaluating your career through the prism of, is it fulfilling my passions when it, it doesn't need to, I guess that's what I've discovered. And so I wrote my book in 2016, 2017. Um, I write music, I record music and that gets all of that stuff out of my system so that I can devote my, you know, my work energy to my work and my passion energy to my passion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's consistent with, you know, some of my own experiences, but also in listening to other creators of art, whatever form that takes. And some people want to try to monetize that, which I've done with my writing and other people don't, they don't want money to be anywhere around it, but they do want to spend that time and energy into creating. And I think you just have to figure out what works for you and, and go after it. Absolutely. Um, well, I have the last question and then Jay, if you want to take it from there and wrap up, but I, I wanted to go back to the podcast real quick. If you don't mind shifting gears back to your podcast, sounds like it's relatively new. Um, give us the name again, but if you could, it, of course we'll link to it in our show notes at the thought leadership project.com. But um, remind listeners of the name and then tell us why you started this. Who's it for? What can somebody get out of it? So the podcast is called Lawyerpreneur and it is for anybody who's got an interest in any lawyer and specifically, but any, anybody who's got an interest in innovation, whether it's within their law practice or outside of the law practice. And we've talked about a lot of these ideas already. Um, but I've been working on this idea because this is eventually going to become a book for a while that there are three types of lawyer entrepreneurs. There are folks who within their law practice are being innovative, whether they have niche law practices or they're reaching clients in a different way than anybody else in their market has considered before, or they're just doing things differently within their law practice. Then there's lawyers like me who have side hustles. And some of those side hustles are related tangentially to law practice, um, like the writing that I do, and others uh, like Financial Panther. He does a dozen different gig economy jobs that don't have anything to do with his work or his law practice, but they bring in and supplement his income and help him keep grounded and pursue all of these other things. And then finally, there's lawyers who have innovation and entrepreneurialism that has taken them entirely out of the practice of law, whether that's being in the legal tech or the legal support sector, or it's things that have nothing to do with law. Like there's a lawyer named Sean Askinosi who became a chocolatier. Uh, and there's a guy down in Texas who left a law practice and started a brewery. So for me, those are the people I want to talk to uh, because I think they have a lot that I can learn from that anybody else can learn from and, and apply not only to the businesses that we have, but the businesses that we want to have and the way we want to structure them and organize them and get fulfillment out of them. And so I want the podcast to talk to innovative people and who give ideas and share thoughts about how we can use entrepreneurialism to better our work. 
Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, this is a real pleasure. I think uh, you've added a lot of insight for our listeners and, and gave probably gave people uh, new viewpoints on maybe how they can approach and what thought leadership is and how it's not just writing client alerts, but it's um, establishing and sharing your ideas in, in different contexts, including big projects like books. I mean, and then in your case, a podcast as well. So I think that's that's a, a great example for a lot of lawyers out there who aren't quite sure how to think about, you know, standing out, uh, sharing ideas and, and building a brand for themselves. So why don't you uh, just uh, tell our listeners the best way to find you, your books, your podcasts, um, and any other kind of closing thoughts you wanted to provide. But I uh, certainly point people in the right direction to find your, your content. All right. I really appreciate y'all having me on. You can find my writing and me at jeremywrichter.com. I'm on Twitter or LinkedIn, you know, wherever. My books, you can find wherever it is that you prefer to buy books, whether it's Amazon or Barnes and Noble, but mostly really, you know, it's Amazon because yeah. <laughs> that's where people buy things. Uh, but anywhere the books are sold, you should be able to find it. And if you are, Jay, you mentioned giving books away earlier. If you're a lawyer who's in a tight spot and you'd like to read the book, but you're just not in a spot where you can spend 10 or 14 bucks to get it, send me an email jwr at jeremywrichter.com and i'll be glad to send you a copy of the book that's great uh i'm sure some people will take you up on that uh and so thanks jeremy it was uh, like i said it was a pleasure um we're we're uh excited to get this out to the world and and ha help people learn how to how to become thought leaders to a greater extent based on your example so thank you everyone for listening and join us next week for another episode thanks everybody Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.